Welcome to Fast Talk, the Velo News podcast and everything you need to know to ride like a pro. Coach Trevor, I have a story for you. This morning, went on a bicycle ride. It's about an hour and 20, you know, not that long, before work. Caught up with a couple couple guys that, that ride pretty fast. Got about 15 minutes in, first sort of hard section, first on section, we call it. My legs, they filled with so much lactic acid, just burning, burning like fire. Like they were on fire. It was the worst thing ever. I'm just wondering if uh, if you could tell me how I could buffer that lactic acid a little bit better. Can you tell me how to do that, Trevor? So this is the test of the sensitivity of our mics because I'm not sure they can pick up the sound of my teeth grinding right now. <laughs> uh, that was a fake story. Welcome to another episode of Fast Talk. I am Kaylee Fretz, uh, man of the fake story. I'm a senior editor here at Velo News. Across the table, as always, from our favorite coach, Trevor Connor. And the topic of discussion today is lactate, or lactic acid, which doesn't really exist. So this is the Mythbusters I have been waiting to do. This is one of my cringe moments, soapboxes, whatever you want to call it. But we are going to spend the next However, minutes explaining to you why lactic acid does not exist in the human body. And why my whole little fake story at the beginning there was absolute nonsense because my legs do not burn because they are full of acid. Well, they do a little, but sort of. Your legs just don't burn. (laughs) But let's get into it. So, Trevor, why. If lactic acid is not a thing that we find in our bodies, why have I heard about this for the entire two decades that I have been an athlete? Why? Why why is this the thing that, that that consistently comes up again and again? We have an entire plethora of products designed to decrease lactic acid. We have, uh, we have coaches the world over teaching you how to training you how to reduce your lactic acid. Why all these things if lactic acid ain't a thing? So this comes down to inertia. And let me tell you, we've been hearing about this for longer than 20 years. The researchers, and I can't remember their name, who discovered it, uh, discovered what they thought was lactic acid back in 1907. And I believe they won the Nobel Prize for it. But that was Oops. at the time that we were, <laughs> well, it, it was fine. <laughs> Acid-based chemistry was in its infancy back then, and we didn't really understand fully, or they didn't fully understand how it worked back then. So you can you can forgive them for getting lactate and lactic acid mixed up. But that stuck around for a long time and became part of the, the common language. And then 
in the 70s, you had two researchers. This was Fitz and um, I'm going to mispronounce this, but Holowski? Holowski. H-O-L-L-O-S-Z-Y. Tell me how you pronounce that. I don't know what a Z is. Yes, sorry. <laughs> I believe they were Canadian. Um, no. Um, and they found a correlation between the rise of lactate in your blood and a drop in pH. So they said, there you go, pH drops, which means that the blood's becoming more acidic, so it's lactic acid. Again, and we'll explain why you have that correlation, but it's not lactic acid. This, to me, is a sign of, of people who are keeping up with the science, because when I hear people talking about lactic acid, I just go, ooh, go, go read. <laughs> go get a current physiology book. <laughs> well, so, we're, here to, uh, we're here to make it so you don't have to read. You just put your headphones on and listen to us. There That's you go. the whole idea. So lactic acid myth. This is a myth. This is definitively a myth. This is not one of those things that is controversial. Well, lactic acid is is definitively not in existence, correct? Well, I am going to prove that. Well, it exists in the in the world, it just doesn't in any physiological quantity exist in our body. And let me tell you, I wrote an article about this back what was it, 2012, 2013. I have never been so attacked for an article. And my favorite part was it turned into this argument on the Velo News website between me and a a, a researcher who who studied redox reactions. And we got a little hot and heavy into this debate. And then all of a sudden, a third person pipes in. And all he writes is, nerd fight, with a whole bunch of explanation marks. And that ended it. He won. <laughs> no one wins a fight on the internet. Uh, that was back in the good old days when the when Delanews.com had comments, I think. Well, maybe the bad old days. But uh, thankfully, the comments are now gone. So explain this to me. Explain yourself, Trevor. If this is, if this is something that you are so sure about, explain to me why... Uh, why? Why? Just tell me okay. why. Explain to me why lactic acid is not found in a physiological uh, sense. So forgive me. This is the five minutes of this podcast where I'll put you to sleep, and then I, I hope or promise the rest of this is going to get a little more exciting. But I do need to explain a little bit of acid-based chemistry. And when I was doing my chemistry classes, this was the part of chemistry. I went, damn, this is complicated. What I'm about to... Explain to you is a simplification, but to help you understand lactic acid versus lactate, not as a definitive, this is how acid base works. If you want to understand that, go look up Bronsted-Lowry acids and the different types of acids and, and all about hydronium and, and various other things in acid that I'm trying not to remember from my chemistry days. <laughs> um, so yes, uh, this is my qualifier to all you scientists out there, simplification. Basically, what an acid is, is a chemical that has a hydrogen that can easily disassociate, so detach from the molecule. This isn't quite chemically accurate, but I'm going to use this to make it easy to understand. Don't think of that molecule as the acid. Think of that hydrogen ion. Um, it's called an ion because it doesn't have an electron. So basically, this is an atom floating around that has no electrons. That hydrogen ion can become very, very damaging because it's going to go to other molecules and try to steal electrons. That's rude. It's quite rude and quite selfish, but that's what hydrogen does. <laughs> um, so basically, an acid is just something that can release a whole bunch of these hydrogen ions into a a liquid, um, and then depending on how easily it disassociates those hydrogens, it can be more or less damaging. 
the thing is, <clears throat> something will eventually take up those hydrogen ions. That's your base. So a base chemical will then grab that hydrogen, bond to it, and then that reduces the acidity because now you don't have this hydrogen ion floating around. That's your base. So I've now explained uh, your, your, your acid and your base. Where I'm going to with this is as soon as an acid releases its hydrogen ion, it's now essentially become a base because it can take up a hydrogen now. So every acid has its base complement. And when we're talking about lactic acid, you have lactic acid, which is the acid because it still has the hydrogen ion, and then you have lactate, which is the base that can take up the hydrogen ion. So they are... And, and I've had, in that argument we, uh, we had on the web, I'm sure it's still up there if anybody wants to go up, take a look at it, that scientist said, well, it's just nomenclature. There's, there's no difference between lactate and lactic acid, so you can just use them interchangeably. Not really true. One is bonding to hydrogen. One is releasing hydrogen. Those hydrogen ions have a huge effect on our ability to exercise and can be very damaging. So... One's almost, lactate's almost protective against acidity, or it is protective against acidity, where lactic acid can contribute to acidity. So there's your chemistry lesson. Any, any, God, I sound like a professor. Any, any questions? Our exam uh, is tomorrow. <laughs> I will be failing this exam. Uh, well, so if they're, so they're both inside you? Lactate well, and lactic acid. So isn't lactic acid then technically in there? It's just sort of balanced by lactate? So here's the other part of, of, of acid-base chemistry you need to understand. When you are talking about an, uh, an acid-base pair, you have what's called a pKa value. Mm. So this is the pH of a fluid, um, or, or what pH of a fluid is required to have half of the molecules exist in the acid form, half of the molecules exist in the, the base form. So it's basically, when you're thinking about, since we're talking about lactic acid here, what pH would your blood have to be for you to have half lactic acid, half lactate? Following me? Yep. The, and remember, the lower the pH value, the more acidic. Mm -hmm. The pKa I remember value, that part from chemistry. <laughs> fantastic. Okay, good. The pKa value for lactic acid and lactate is 3.67. Which so is let's quite now, acidic, right? Which is quite acidic. Yeah. So human body, your typical blood pH in a, in, in a resting state is around 7.4. Mm -hmm. When you are... Which is just a hint basic? The, um, I believe so, yes. Yeah. When you are all out killing yourself, you're getting that burn in your muscles... Mm -hmm. Your um, pH of your blood will drop to around, you know, the lowest will drop to is around 6.9, 7.0. You drop much below that and you are now getting into serious dangers like pH that you could die from. That's no good. So human body, our blood won't see much below 7. You have to be at 3.67 just to have half lactic acid, half lactate. Mm. So at the pHs that our bodies operate at, Lactic acid essentially does not exist, or it's zero point some bunch of zeros, one mm -hmm. percent lactic acid. The rest is lactate. So it's physiologically, it does not exist in the human body. All right, I got you now. I, I'm I'm following along. 
basically it's not so much that lactic acid as as sort of we described it here doesn't exist entirely it's just that it's in such a small quantity and it's just the broader point is that it's not what we're talking about right when we're talking about the burn and et cetera, et cetera, like the, the actual, uh, the things that are happening inside you when you exercise, this flush of lactic acid, as it's been described to many an athlete, does not exist. Right. And here's what's going to annoy you even more. And I won't go too deep into this, but I'll, I'll put references, <clears throat> excuse me, for a couple studies up on the website that show that lactate concentration so when you go in and do that lactate test in a physiology lab and they show the rise in your lactate as you you get higher and higher wattages that elevated lactate isn't even a measure of fatigue and it's not even a measure of hypoxia so why why does it correlate relatively well with uh ability <laughs> the ability to ride quickly. So that's the question that we want to get to. Let's hold off though on that question for a bit because there's a few other things to understand about lactate, which does exist in your body, to help you understand why we still measure lactate. The physiology labs are not ripping you off. That's good to know. Uh, they're not measuring this and going, ha fools, they think they're, they got lactic acid in there. Not the case. Uh, there is actually good reasons to continue doing these lactate tests. But uh, before we can get there, um, I need to tell you a little bit more about lactate. I see on the board, lactate is a fuel slash transporter. Mm -hmm. this, is our, this is our magical, what we're going to talk about next board that is sitting in front of me. So... There is a Professor Brooks who really turned around the science on, um, on lactate and lactic acid. And so before he came around and did his research, everybody said, well, it's lactic acid and lactic acid is a dead product. You build it up, you fatigue, you're done, you now have to clear it out and the next day you're going to be really sore. So that, that's, the, I mean, that's always what I had heard prior to discussing this with you about seven years ago. So that's all been thrown out. And like I said, a lot of that was Professor Brooks. And what he has discovered is that lactate actually serves uh, very important purposes in our body. And I will tell you, one of the biggest compliments I got when I was having this whole debate about that article and just thinking, oh, geez, why did, why did I write that? Um, one of my professors from CSU actually emailed me an email he received from Pre Professor Brooks with a copy of the article saying, finally, somebody got it right. <laughs> that was well that, done trevor that went took it from like the worst article i'd ever written to wow thank you so hopefully you get another email after this podcast <laughs> i'm not gonna hold my breath but it'd be nice <laughs> so yes lactate is a fuel it is not a dead product our bodies use it a lot as a matter of fact it is the primary fuel of our hearts our livers also take it up during exercise, our slow-twitch muscle fibers will take it up and use it as a fuel. There are a lot of uses for it. So there's, and again, I, I'm not going to go down too many rabbit holes here. I'm just going to touch on a few. Lactate chemistry and, and physiology is actually remarkably complex, really fascinating, remarkably complex. So we're only going to skim it in this podcast. But there's what's called the lactate shuttle and the Cori cycle. And these are processes by which your body essentially uses lactate to transport energy. Hmm. So when you 
break down glucose for fuel. That's called glycolysis. At the end of that, the, the old textbooks tell you that the end product is pyruvate, and then pyruvate's used. It, it, pyruvate is taken in, into the mitochondria, and it's, it's used for the Krebs cycle. And I'm sure everybody's remembering their high school biology for all this. Remembering might be a slight overstatement. Uh, vague nightmares of these terms. I remember that that term exists, yes. Right. So what we're actually discovering is no, um, pyruvate might not be the primary end product. It's actually lactate. Mm. And lactate is really good for transporting across membranes. So it's really good for transporting out of cells, into cells, um, into the mitochondria to be used for fuel. It actually transports better than glucose. So our bodies actually like to get this fuel into the, the, the lactate form and then send it to where it's needed. So it gets pumped out of the cells. And this even happens at rest. This is one of the mistakes people make is they think we only produce lactate when we're going hard. Sitting in your chair right now, looking bored out of your wits for what I'm saying and not moving, you're actually producing lactate. I'm intellectually invigorated right now, Trevor. I, don't I know can what you're tell. talking about. That lactate gets pumped out into your blood. It's taken up by your heart. It's taken up by other tissues that can use it for fuel. And that's, it's also taken up by your liver, and your liver converts it back to glucose in a process called gluconeogenesis. Um, and that's the Cori cycle. Hmm. So it is, think of lactate as this great way to transport your, your, your fuels, particularly your sugar-based fuels. Hmm. Interesting. Follow-up question. Yes. How is it produced? We've, we've said that a couple times now that when you when we go when you go hard, we produce mm. lactate. That seems like uh, an important piece of the puzzle here. So you do produce more and more when you when you go hard. So as I said, when your body breaks down glucose, that process is called glycolysis. Mm -hmm. The end product of glycolysis is either pyruvate or lactate. And you used to believe that the pyruvate was the dominant. I've been reading a lot of research recently that's saying, actually, no, lactate's the more common form. So when you are going easy, uh, your body likes to burn fats when it's going easy. It's also using a lot of slow-twitch muscle fibers when it's going easy. Slow-twitch muscle fibers are not big producers of lactate because they don't rely on sugar. They rely on fat. So you're not producing a lot when you're going easy. As you start going harder, you recruit more and more fast-twitch muscle fibers. They are big users of glucose. Mm -hmm. So glycolysis is getting ramped up. They're producing a ton of lactate. Remember I said the lactate generally goes into the Krebs cycle, which is where you burn fat. Um, that's also where you use oxygen. Fast-twitch muscle fibers don't really rely too heavily on the Krebs cycle. They don't rely too heavily on oxygen. So they have all this lactate buildup that they're like, well, what do I do with this? Meanwhile, right beside them, all the slow-twitch muscle fibers are going, over here, I'll take it, send it my way. And that's, that's that, that lactate shuttle is talking about. So the fast-twitch muscle fibers will pump all the lactate out of the cell, hmm. and then the slow-twitch muscle fibers will take the lactate up and happily use it for fuel. Liver will also take it up to produce more glucose. So, yes, that's so, so why... Is, is it a waste product of those fast-twitch fibers using glucose? Well, the fast-twitch muscle fibers, since they don't rely too heavily on, on the Krebs cycle and mm -hmm. oxidative metabolism, um, they can use the lactate, but not nearly as rapidly as they're producing it. Hmm. So it's not a waste product. For them, they're, those cells, those fast-twitch muscle fibers are saying, I can't really use all this, so I'm going to pump it out. 
but there's other tissues in the body, particularly your slow twitch muscle fibers, your liver, your heart, uh, that can take it up and use it. Hmm. All right. I'm with you. I'm with you, you with now. me. Yep. So that's, we, we jumped a little bit ahead, but that's great. Um, that is why you see more and more lactate production when you're going harder and harder and harder. Even when you are exercising and going hard and a lot of lactate is being pumped out into the blood. And so we said, you know, lactate levels rise when you're going hard. That's actually beneficial. So we thought lactic acid is a sign that the body is not able to function well, but actually pumping the lactate out, A, helps get those hydrogen ions out of your cells so your cells can keep working. It also helps drive ventilation, makes you breathe harder. We actually have sensors for it. And then there's an effect called the Bohr effect where lactate has been shown to potentially help your, your blood, the hemoglobin in your blood, to release O2 so your muscles can take it up. So lactate is not this end product that's shutting you down. Actually, this production of lactate is showing to help your body go longer. So I guess the, 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 the follow-up question to that for me is, can you produce too much? And is, that, is the original analogy of, of the, the original lactic acid analogy of you just your legs are filling up with lactic acid and they hurt a lot and it shuts you down. Is that eventually somewhat true or is this something else entirely? Really good question. And, and that's kind of what we were just getting at with our, our com- the conversation we just had. When you are looking at the level of lactate in your blood, you are not just looking at production. It is the ratio of production to clearance. So that's what I was saying. Even when you are resting, when you're not moving, you're producing lactate. You are just clearing it out as rapidly as you're producing it. So you maintain a a, a very low base level. As you produce more and more, clearance might not be able to keep up. So when we talk about lactate levels, we talk about millimoles. At rest, you're generally going to be below one. Um, Once you go over two, you are considered to be at the start of uh, of your, your threshold range. Um, some physiologists out there say you are at what is commonly called your anaerobic threshold, or now we're talking more about FTP, when you're at about four millimoles. You have somebody like Chris Froome, he probably can't go much above six. A really good sprinter can hit like 19, 20, 21, because they have those big fast switch fibers and produce a lot. And I remember early as a coach, I was working with this master's athlete who got tested at a lab in the city where he lived, for some reason, this physiologist just had him do an hour at a steady state. So his threshold power was right around 300. Um, So this physiologist had him do an hour at like 260 watts. Not sure why. Hmm. Uh, Not a test I would ever do, but it had a really interesting side effect. He spent the entire hour at 12 millimole. And I, I... contacted the physiologist and said, okay, that's ridiculous. You didn't test this right. Uh, He went, no, actually, I see this all the time in master's athletes. I go, well, you can't have that sort of level. He goes, no, you don't get it. A lot of these master's athletes do nothing but 30 minutes of intensity. So they have this enormous ability to produce lactate, Hmm. but zero clearance ability. So it's not so much that they're producing tons and tons of lactate. It's just building up in their blood and their body doesn't have any ability to get rid of it. And that's why he could ride at 12 millimoles and not feel like he was dying. Hmm. 
So the clearance part of the equation is really, really critical. And, and when we talk later about ways to train, we're going to actually talk about ways of improving clearance. We already talked about the when you're going hard or when you're exercising, the slow twitch muscle fibers will take up lactate. We've already talked about how the heart will take it up, kidneys will take it up, liver will take it up. There's a lot of tissues that will take it up. If you're going really hard and you're not getting enough blood to those tissues, they can't take it up. And that's one of the things that affects clearance. Your body has to transport the lactate in and out of the muscle cells, of all tissues. And the transporters are called MCT. There's a lot of different types of MCT, but we're just going to talk about two transporters. One is MCT1 and one is MCT4. MCT1 is the transporters that's used by tissues like the heart and your slow-twitch muscle fibers to absorb the lactate, take it out of the blood and pull it into the cell. So slow-twitch muscle fibers have a lot of MCT1. MCT4 takes the lactate and pumps it out of the cell. Hmm. And there's a lot of that in your fast-twitch muscle fibers. When we talk a little bit later about training, training affects the quantity of MCT1 and MCT4. And we'll talk about what types of training affects each. Short version is fast, hard, high-intensity training builds up those MCT4. So you're pumping lots of lactate out into the blood. But it's the slower, longer endurance rides that build up the MCT1 so that you can take up hmm. um, the, uh, the the transporters. And maybe actually this is a good point. We talked with uh, Dr. Inigo San Milan about this, and he explains a little more the MCT1 and the MCT4 and why it's so important not just to do high-intensity work. Lactate is produced mainly in the fast-twitch muscle fibers, uh, and lactate cannot leave the cell, you know, by itself. It needs a transporter, as you know, and right. the transporters are the MCT4s. Right now, those transporters are stimulated by training high intensity and by lactic production itself, because it, it can upregulate the synthesis of those transporters. Uh, so therefore, lactate is exported out of the cell by those transporters. Right yeah. now, that doesn't mean that you're going to clear the lactate. It still is there outside the, the muscle fibers in the muscle. You still need to get it out out of the muscle, right? So we have two ways. One way is to take it to the bloodstream, and from the bloodstream goes to pretty much every organ in the body. And that's reused re for, for fuel, right? Right. Probably the major organ is uh, the, the liver, right? Uh, and that's where through the core cycle, it's, uh, it's, uh, we can produce glucose through gluconeogenesis from lactate. Uh, that's one way. The problem with that pathway is that it takes minutes. So here we are producing lactate by the second during an activity, right? And it's building up, building up, building up, and it's taking a minute to get rid of it. So that's not going to work, that mechanism. So we need one mechanism that is local uh, inside the muscle where we can uh, oxidize that lactate or clear that lactate back to fuel in a matter of seconds, right? Now this happens mainly in the uh, oxidative muscle fibers, which are the type 1 muscle fibers, right? Which are, which are adjacent, obviously, to the, to the, to the fast twitch muscle fibers. Now, for that, we need another transporter that transports lactate into these slow twitch muscle fibers. And that's the MCT1 transporter, right? 
Yeah. And that's something that uh, uh, so that's in place. That is uh, the NCT one, and there's one enzyme in the mitochondria, the, the, the mitochondrial lactate LDH, right? That helps yeah. uh, converting that lactate back to pyruvate, right. and therefore fuel for the for the cell, right? Uh, and and uh, and part of the cell to cell lactate shuttle and all that. But anyways, well, what I mean with this is that uh, in order to have that complex developed, you need to train it. You need to stimulate those uh, that regulation, that upregulation, that complex, and that happens mainly the, in the slow twitch muscle fibers. So you need to stimulate them as well. So what we see is that people who just do high intensity, high intensity, definitely they're going to stimulate those MCT4s. So they're going to stimulate uh, beyond also the, uh, the glycolytic capacity of the cell. They're going to stimulate the capacity to export lactate outside the cell, right? Which is necessary very first step. However, if they don't do that, the, the more that the slow twitch muscle fiber training, which is more like the zone two, they're not going to stimulate the capacity to import that lactate back into the adjacent slow twitch muscle fibers and clear up. So that's why the whole concept of the zone two and, and the base, right? It's very important because, uh, you know, you're not going to improve much. And that's mm-hmm. what we've seen till for so many years, you know, I mean, vehicle trust training, high intensity, high intensity, they improve at first, and, and I can see they improve because they improve for the glycolytic capacity of those fibers, they fire better, the turbo works better, and they and they, import, they increase the lactate exportation outside of those cells, right? And that's where like, we think that we might have, we might see, we see like a fast improvement. But what we see is that people get stuck there eventually. People don't improve more, and they get stuck, and they get stuck. And it's not until they don't start working those low twitch muscle fibers and all the components for lactic sense capacity, which is the mitochondrial lactate associated to conflict, and then we'll see that until they start really improving. And that's where we're like, when we see the combination of both, that's where it will. We see a big improvement in, in, in lactic sense capacity and, and, and fat oxidation, which is also... Uh, uh, it tells us that there's uh, an important improvement in mitochondrial biogenesis because the type 1 lactic fibers are the ones with the highest mitochondrial function. So again, by stimulating those fibers, we are not just improving that lactic capacity and those oxidative enzymes, but definitely also the mitochondrial biogenesis. So that's a good explanation from, from Dr. Inigo. He's always good. We always like Dr. Inigo San Milan. So since we're talking about uh, lactate and we just heard from Inigo San Milan, uh, and I also mentioned uh, Dr. George Brooks. I think it's worth mentioning that the two of them are actually working together right now. They just published a series of papers showing that lactate is involved in cancer. And really coincidental, so I'm, I'm looking at my screen right now, and, and on my Twitter feed just came up a, a new paper, or at least uh, Dr. Samalan just reposted it, a paper that he and Dr. Brooks wrote called Reexamining Cancer Metabolism. Lactate production for carcinogenesis could be the purpose and explanation of the Warburg effect. And you thought my explanation was a little heavy. What's the Warburg effect? Don't go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> okay, we won't get down that rabbit hole. What, well, what, what actually, is this here, here we go. Lactate producing lactogenic cancer cells are characterized by increased aerobic glycolysis and excess lactate formation, a ph- phenomenon described by Otto Warburg 93 years ago, which still remains unexplained. That is the best summary of it I think I've ever seen. There you go. Why does this matter? Does this mean we get uh, lactate cancer? 
lactic acid cancer? Basically, the, the short of it, what their research is showing is that um, cancer cells, or at least when, when you're seeing the pathogenesis of cancer, um, there is an overproduction of lactate because it's basically this huge ramping up of um, glycolysis, mm. which we just talked about. And they're trying to under, so we've been trying to, under, or I shouldn't say we, I have nothing to do with this, but <laughs> researchers for a long time have been trying to understand why this is. And Dr. San Milan and, and Dr. Brooks have come up with some really fascinating theories. And this is, this is I'd like to believe, and, and it's a friend of mine, <laughs> so I might have a slight bias, but only slight. I'd like to believe this is really important research that they're doing. Good stuff. Uh, as important as cancer is, cancer is the worst. It sucks. Well, well that was a, a highly enjoyable and relevant uh, rabbit hole. But uh, let's get back to lactate and exercise. We still haven't really covered kind of my initial question. We're getting to it. I can sense that we're getting to it. But the initial question was 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 essentially the burn. That's what I referenced in my fake little story earlier. Where does the burn come from? So this was the big thing that fooled so many researchers for so many years. Basically, Yes, you do have a buildup of acid. Yes, your pH does drop. It happens at the exact same time that lactate rises. It is somewhat coincidental, but not completely coincidental. And to understand why, we have to take a, a little closer look at those MCT4 transporters, the ones that transport the lactate out of the cells. So remember I said earlier, lactate's a great transporter. It goes across membranes really well. Our bodies are amazing at identifying opportunities and taking advantage of them. Um, and they took advantage of lactate. They said, hey, it's really easy to get lactate out of the cell into the blood. It's actually pretty hard to take those hydrogen ions and get them out of the cell. So basically, these MCT4s are what are called co-transporters. The, the a hydrogen ion piggybacks with the lactate whenever the lactate is transported out. So every time a lactate molecule is transported out, a hydrogen ion is transported out. Mm. And hydrogen ions do build up when cells are going really hard. And I won't, maybe that's for another podcast, but um, there is a reason for that. Um, and for the cells to keep functioning, you need to get those hydrogen ions out. Does it have something to do with oxygen and water? A little bit. There, there's a, a bunch of effects. We'd have to go into... Uh, NAD and FAD and let's not do that. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Let's just let's just leave this alone. <laughs> we can leave that one for another day. So, but the key point here is as that acid builds up, your cells co-transport hydrogen ion with the lactate. So the lactate's pulling hydrogen out of well, pushing out, pulling, pulling out pulling out of the cell, removing from the cell these hydrogen ions, which could be damaging. Right. So you have, at the same time that the pH is dropping because all these hydrogen ions are going into your blood, you have a rise in lactate. And hence, that's the reason they were fooled for so long into thinking it's lactic acid. Mm. It's, it's not. And there are still some researchers that go, look, lactate, even though they're not actually bonded because you're, you're essentially coupling the, the hydrogen with the, the lactate, you, for all intents and purposes, you're talking about lactic acid. Hmm. So there is some argument there. The reason I don't go down that road is as soon as you're talking about lactic acid, you are talking about a dead product that's doing damage. Hmm. Where lactate is a fuel, it's beneficial, 
and it's so beneficial it's also being used to help clear or keep maintain the ph of, of your cells that are working really hard hmm. so we like lactate we like lactate we don't like acid we don't like acid we, we don't like we don't like lactate those, we don't like those hydrogens necessarily right well you don't like a buildup of them right so we are always producing hydrogen ions. We do need to maintain. You, you will actually die quicker of your base, your blood becoming too base, hmm. than your blood becoming too acidic. Interesting. So we don't hate them. We just don't like a lot of them. Right. Everything in our body, we like balance. And that comes back to something that we've talked about a number of times before, which is the body's love of homeostasis. And this is the reason why it is still beneficial. Great segue. I'm a segue uh, pro. <laughs> this is why it is still beneficial to do a lactate test and to monitor lactate. Um, because what we are trying to do is watch to see if the body is able to maintain homeostasis. So we used to call it, and it's still the common term, anaerobic threshold. When you talk about what do I time trial at or we mm -hmm. talk about FTP, everybody goes, well, it's the same thing as your anaerobic threshold because that's the point where you now rely on anaerobic metabolism and you're not going to last very long. That's kind of an outdated way to think of it because you're still doing a lot of oxidative work. You are not suddenly becoming totally anaerobic. So the term that I actually really like for it that a lot of physiologists use is more what's called maximal lactate steady state. Hmm. It's looking for what's the hardest you can go and keep your body in homeostasis. We just talked about production and clearance of lactate needs to be maintained at about an equal level. That happens when your lactate levels stay steady. Um, they can rise, but if they rise and then still stay pretty steady, you're still in a steady state. You're still in some form of homeostasis. What most people think of as your threshold is that point where your body can no longer maintain a steady state. And it happens that that's the point where your body says production is exceeding clearance. I can no longer maintain a steady lactate level. I'm going to get into trouble here. Because homeostasis is very, very simplified. It's just balance, really. It is. It is the driving force of our bodies. Our bodies like to maintain balance. We like to maintain a constant temperature. We like to maintain a constant pH. We like to maintain everything Salt levels, in balance. Everything. Yeah. And when we are exercising, think of fatigue as the point when your body can no longer maintain balance, no longer maintain homeostasis. Um, there's a lot of different ways to lose homeostasis. There's a lot of different ways to fatigue. This is one of them. And that point when production is exceeding clearance and our bodies can't keep up anymore that means you aren't going to last very long. That means you are now above what you think of as your FTP or there's 50 different names for it, VT2, MLSS, anaerobic threshold, whatever you want to call it. But it's that highest point that you can sustain. And actually, let's bring in Dr. Samalan again. He's got uh, a really good explanation of threshold. You talk about anaerobic threshold funny, you know, because that term actually doesn't really exist. I mean, as you know, everything is aerobic, right, until very high intensity, when there's no uh, um, oxygen availability, right, and mm -hmm. that's where the ATP and PC system, you know, kick in, right? So everything until then, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's aerobic glycolysis, right? So, but that's a confusion, you know, people, people assume the anaerobic threshold term is when you start becoming anaerobic, Therefore, there's no oxygen. When there, when it, 
limiting availability, right? It's more of a, you become more glycolytic, you know? But, uh, but yeah, this is where it is understood that with anaerobic threshold. The other thing uh, also I believe is like, but uh, what is lactate threshold? Is lactate threshold for a uh, for five minute effort, for a 10 minute effort, for a uh, for 40 kilometer time trial, right? Or is lactate threshold for, um, you know, like a 90 minute last effort towards the finish line? That's the thing that, that, that they're diff- in my opinion, they're different type of threshold. Which brings us probably to, to the concept of the maximal lactate stack state, right? Which is probably more accurate, in my opinion, you know, than the lactate threshold. And the maximal lactate, maximal static state, work, I mean, maximal lactate static state, it really talks more about what, yeah, the, 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 that metabolic static state that you can sustain before blowing up, for example, right? So I think that, in my opinion, that's a more accurate term, because that's where, yeah, we can talk the maximal lactate static state for like uh, a 40 kilometer time trial or, 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 or a 10K climb, right? Or a five minute effort, right? So, you know, if you want to do a very long effort, right? Uh, yeah, definitely the, the, the maximal lactate statistic for lactate is going to be much lower than for a, let's say, a five minute effort, right? So, let's say, for example, for a 40 kilometer time trial, your, your, your maximal lactate statistic could be somewhere between Four to five millimole, for example, uh, when you want to go, like for example, at a five kilometer time trial, it's going to be maybe more into the six to eight millimole, right? Uh, so those are truly maximal lactate static state because if you go above those concentrations, normally people are going to blow up, uh, but the lactate concentrations are completely different. Okay. Now, when you have somebody into your lab and you do a lactate test on them, I know that you have uh, you put on there what their their threshold is. How do you measure that? What are you looking for? Yeah, so this is this is a good question, uh, and, and that's kind of what I'm trying to maybe describe the whole maximal lactate steady state to what I call the the maximal metabolic steady state. Because it's not just lactate; there's a bunch of different metabolic events happening. Right, so uh, as sexual size intensity increases, right, you need to use more glucose to generate ATP, and uh, therefore uh, you're going to produce more lactate. Byproduct of glucose utilization is lactate, right? right. So that lactate has to be cleared out because uh, uh, not lactate per se, because lactate is a great fuel back to the muscles, as, as you know very well. But the hydrogen ions associated to lactate, those are the ones that uh, might interfere. That we should shows with a with muscle contractility and it decreases both muscle uh, contractive force and muscle contractive velocity. So um, um, that can, you know, can, it, can, it can decrease up to 50%. In the laboratory, what we measure is uh, the, the whole metabolic response and, then, and there are different metabolic events. Because we measure fine carbohydrate oxidation rates in the laboratory. And again, there's that one area when, when all of a sudden that, that glucose utilization fight that means you're starting to activate a lot of the glycolytic muscle fibers, right? Because the glycolytic muscle fibers are the ones that use a lot of glucose, and that's what they the, the fast twitch muscle fibers. Yep. That's a metabolic event right there, you know, and at the same time, we see that fat utilization drops significantly. So that's a metabolic event right there, and uh, it's going to produce also uh, a lot of lactate, right? Because 
because the byproduct of glucose utilization is being factor protection. So that's a metabolic event, and that's what we could see that that's, that's a lactic threshold for a given amount of time. What are the, the really key events that you look for? Uh, there's a very high glycolysis, a huge glycolytic flux or glucose flux inside the cell uh, because of a very high demetro ATP production. We're still talking about aerobic metabolism, right? Because everything happens yeah. in the with the presence of oxygen, right? However, there's such a high flux of glucose inside the cell that therefore there's a lot of lactic production. And therefore that's key. You know, that, that person who has a very good lactic change capacity can maintain or sustain that higher rate of uh, glucose utilization at very high intensity, right? Uh, and therefore, they can sustain that effort for a while. You know, uh, it could be 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. It depends on what the capacity, right, of that person to sustain. Now, at that point, too, we see that fat utilization completely stops. There's no fat utilization, right? So that's another point that we see. Uh, again, we see like a, another second big spike of lactate, right? Because there's yeah. more lactate production. Uh, we see that uh, there's a big spike in glucose utilization, and that's where we can see boom, there is no fat, fat utilization anymore. So the whole effort is 100% glycolytic, although it's still uh, under plenty aerobic conditions, right? And that's what some people might call this the anaerobic threshold, too. But actually, it's not an anaerobic threshold. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's that event where, yeah, the body very uh, metabolically stressed at that point, and they need a lot of glucose for, for fast ATP synthesis. So yeah, I mean, that point, it's just, uh, uh, that what we do in the laboratory, and we observe all these, all these parameters that happen in pretty much at the same time. Again, we just said fat disappears completely, uh, glucose increases a lot dramatically, and then uh, the lactate also increases. That's the second breakpoint of lactate that we see. So all things coincide, and that's where we translate that into either what or heart rate or pace, right? It's a runner, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and that's what what we call uh, that lactic threshold or that that, that uh, you know and and, uh, and the maximal metabolic static state. Yeah, and so what what makes a really good cyclist basically is the power you can produce while maintaining. This homeostasis. Correct. Yeah. At least in this case, we're talking about your your lactate clearance production homeostasis, which is a really key one in endurance sports. So let's get into that. Let's let's get into how the listeners of this podcast are, are athletes. They're mostly cyclists, maybe some triathletes and things like that. All of our listeners, we love you out there. You're all trying to produce essentially more work, higher power, whatever it is, while maintaining homeostasis. So what, what can people do? to help stave off this particular uh, imbalance, lactate, hydrogen, et cetera, imbalance? So even though lactate is a fuel, it's not the lactate that's fatiguing you. Keeping your lactate levels down um, is going to help the body maintain homeostasis. So working on clearance, lactate clearance... Or lactate lactate buffering or whatever, yeah. ...is a really good thing to train. A couple ways that I can recommend to do it. One, 
and this is what all our time-crunched athletes are going to hate to hear me say, but you've already heard Dr. Samalan talk about this. You need to increase those MCT1 transporters. You need to raise... So you, you first need to get the lactate and the acid out of the cells. You need to raise your MCT4 transporters. That's pretty easy. It takes, uh, they're showing about six weeks, which you've heard me say many times, it takes about six weeks to build race form. <laughs> Um, it takes about six weeks to build those up and they peak out pretty quickly. So just do some high intensity work. You'll have all sorts of MCT fours, but if that's all you work, you're going to limit yourself because you're going to raise your blood lactate levels and your acidity pretty quickly. So you need to also build your clearance. The high intensity will help the MCT ones, but they are showing the, to really build them takes much longer time and guess what it takes long rides we're talking six hour rides or four plus hour rides to really start building those because you have to fatigue or work those slow twitch muscle fibers and get them to want to take up more of the lactate um, for fuel Hmm. and what does that sound like what do we recommend for base takes much longer to build base you need that long slow distance so here you're hearing some of the physiology behind why you do a long, slow base period, and then you do that high-intensity work, and it take, and you'll hear people say it takes about six weeks to build that top end. These MCT transporters appear to be part of that, hmm. part of what you're training. So to work on your clearance, sorry for those of you who want to hear, I should only train an hour a ride. Those long, slow rides are going to help you. That being said, yes, the intensity does help build mct1 as well so uh do some sprint work (laughs) i mean Um, how how close can you get to sort of you know i I want to say like maximal ability but what what percentages are we talking about here in terms of if you skip the base season if for example you just have a a job that you have to it's a a nine to six or nine to seven or something you know you just cannot get those long rides in how much are you limiting yourself from a from a lactate perspective from that pure clearance MCT1 versus MCT4, not a clue. I actually wrote an article about this and that exact question that you just asked me, mm-hmm. I tried to find research on that and I could not. I found research that said yes, um, and I'll post some of these studies. So I'm actually looking at one right now that was uh, 2013 in the Journal of Applied Physiology. Again, we'll put the references up on the website that really showed yeah, you got to do that that long slow to build them up, but it doesn't say anything about how long, how much is it build it up, how much mm. better is it. Couldn't find any research in that. All that it said is you hit a limit, you hit a peak if all you ever do is intensity. Mm. To to maximally build up that that ability to clear takes the longer volume. And what how much better? I can't tell you. I apologize. Is there I mean so the short efforts don't teach your body to clear i mean i would yeah, think I'm saying they do it's just yeah. limited limited gotcha i mean yeah because it would make sense to me that your body you know your body wants homeostasis it would it would learn to clear those things just like right you know if, if you force it to if you fill your your, your body full of <laughs> full of lactate all the time you would think it would get better at removing it right right and this i think is one of the reasons not all the reasons but one of the reasons when i look at the difference between a pro cyclist and a more amateur time crunch cyclist, that's one of the big areas of difference. So for example, up in Toronto, we have this weekday training race 
And Michael Berry, who's a Tour de France athlete, has shown up to it. And we have this one-minute hill in it. Let me tell you, every time I do that hill, I'm seeing red. <laughs> and Michael Berry shows up. And Michael Berry will, will kind of go up the hill with them. But then later on, when they're on the steady part, he rides away from them. And, they all, and they've all said to me, oh, he's just holding back to him, from us on, on the climb. And I go, no, he's not. <laughs> You guys, basically for that one-minute effort, you guys are going as hard, almost as hard as most pros can go. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what you see. People who are time-crunched for 30 minutes, for an hour, for those one-minute hill efforts, they can go super, super hard. And they have enough of those MCT4s to get that lactate out of the cells. What they lack is where you really see the difference in top pros, where top pros can sit there and ride for four hours at 300 watts and their lactate levels remain steady because they have not only the ability to get the lactate out of the cells, they have amazing clearance ability. So what else can people do? Uh, A long, slow distance, LSD. We'll do a little LSD throughout the wintertime. We've talked about the benefits of base training over and over and over again on this podcast. What else can people do? to train these particular systems. So when I was talking about the long slow, I was really talking about building those transporters. There's obviously other benefits to long and slow, but right now we're just talking about lactate. There are other factors that play into clearance, including your body's ability to deliver blood, not just to the working muscles, but to tissues that will take up the lactate. Because if it can't deliver the blood to other parts of your body, that lactate is just going to accumulate in the blood and have nowhere to go which was what was happening with that master's athlete I coached. He wasn't producing that much. He just couldn't get the blood anywhere that, that could clear it. So all the different mechanisms that play into your ability to clear lactate, they're showing those maximize actually just sub what we think of as FTP or anaerobic threshold or whatever term you want to use. And to make it simple for the rest of this podcast, I'm going to use the term I like, which is MLSS, maximal lactate steady state. Training just below that, 90, 95%. Um, and I can hear Frank Overton smiling right now because now we're talking about go do some sweet spot training. Yep. That's going to maximize your clearance. The problem with going harder, and this is, I've seen athletes who get very frustrated because they want to improve their time trialing, they want to uh, improve their, their ability to tolerate lactate. And they think, okay, I was given 15-minute intervals. I'm going to go do 15-minute intervals as hard as I can. If they're doing that, or especially shorter intervals, 5-10 minute intervals, you've actually gone over that bell-shaped curve and you're getting to a point where clearance isn't as good because you're, you're, you're pumping so much blood to the working muscles and away from so much other tissue, you're not clearing as well. Hmm. So actually, if you want to be a good time trialist, if you want to be that threshold monster, you need to do some good amount of time training just below that threshold. What you think about, we go up our rides here in Boulder, we go hit a climb. That's exactly what we do. We don't right. climb a 30-minute flagstaff right at threshold, except for periodically, and we just want to see who's going to fall over. <laughs> Most of the time, we're going close to threshold, 90 95%, but not at it. And this comes back to actually a podcast that we did quite a while ago, six, seven months ago, about doing your intervals in the right zones. So if you, if you want more on this, I would suggest going back to that episode. Actually, we talked quite a lot about making sure that you're doing your intervals in the right zones and that doing 
intervals as hard as you can for whatever duration is not the right idea for this exact reason. Because yes, you could probably go fast, go faster for five minutes or for 20 minutes, but just because you can doesn't mean you should, because the whole point is that you want to train the right systems. So when I give my athletes threshold intervals, and one of my favorites is hill repeats, I'll have them do five, six hill repeats of about 10 minutes. Um, and whenever I do that, I give them a maximum heart rate. So for example, when I time trial, if I go do a 20 minute time trial, I'm going to sit around a 175, 176 heart rate. So when I do these hill repeats, I set a limit for myself around 173, 174. I cannot go over that heart rate. Hmm. And that's to keep me just sub threshold. I learned those years ago and that turned me into a climber. That's where I got to where I could start winning hill climb time trials because what I was doing was I didn't know it at the time. I know now is really working that clearance system. And had, I could have done those hill repeats harder. Had I done that, I don't think I would have seen the same gains. Hmm. All right. Well, Trevor, I think that's uh, I think that's all the lactic acid talk that we can possibly stand today. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go ride my bike home. Legs are gonna be really burny. I'm gonna call you when I get there. See I'm gonna ask you why the lactic acid is filling again. my legs. <laughs> Uh, I now have no excuse to ever say that again. Uh, the thing, I mean, there is, as we said at the beginning of the episode, there is some inertia to this and it is actually, it's kind of, it's difficult for the lay person like myself not to use the term lactic acid. Uh, I will make an effort to do so, but I make no guarantees. Uh, I'm glad though, that I understand a little bit of the mechanics behind all of this. And I'm mostly happy that I understand the mechanics because, Clearly, from our last little section there, there are some things that I could be doing out on the bike to, uh, well, to make my lactic lactic acid-filled legs burn a little bit less, right? (laughs) Exactly. Ah, that was another episode of Fast Talk. Trevor's glaring at me from across the table. As always, we love your feedback. Email us at webletters at competitorgroup.com. Subscribe to Fast Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Be sure to leave us a rating and a comment. And while you're there, check out our sister podcast, the Vela News Podcast. Uh, we cover news about the week in cycling with a slightly humorous bent. You can become a fan of Fast Talk on Facebook at facebook.com slash magazine and on Twitter at twitter.com slash News. You can also find Trevor on Twitter at... Let's see if I can remember this. Uh, T underscore Coach Connor. What is it? I don't actually. (laughs) Hold on. on. We're going to, I'm going to look up what my Twitter handle is. That's embarrassing. Ah, I found it. You can also find Trevor on Twitter. Uh, Trevor, you have 190 followers now. Do I? Yeah. You're listed by five people and you've tweeted 81 times. Thank you, I'm very proud of you for following me. Sorry, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm not too exciting to follow. <laughs> well, everyone should follow Trevor on Twitter at Coach underscore T Connor. That's C O N N O R. You can follow me on Twitter at Kaylee Fretz. Uh, you can follow Velo News on Twitter. Fast Talk is co-produced by Connor Coaching and Velo News. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. For Trevor Connor and Inigo San Milan, I am Kaylee Fretz. Thanks for listening.